Hello, this is John Mangini, Vice President of Marketing with the New Jersey Bankers Association. Welcome to the New Jersey Banker Podcast. Today, our President and CEO, Mike Afuso, sits down with Christopher Marr, Chairman and CEO of Ocean First Bank and Chair of the New Jersey Bankers Board of Directors for a discussion on the state of the New Jersey and national banking industry in overcoming future challenges. Thank you, John. So Chris, what do you think the biggest challenge to our industry is going to be in the next 12 to 24 months? Well, you know, Mike, we're at that point in time where the Fed's had to tighten, right? So we could be staring at an economic slowdown. Um, that could persist probably maybe beginning in 23, going into 24. Hopefully that's a, a much more mild uh, set of issues than we dealt with in 2008. I think the banking system is well prepared for that. We're well capitalized. We've been you know, very careful lenders. So I don't think that will uh, be a giant issue for the industry. But it's something we need to watch, and it will probably define the next uh, 12 to 18 months. You know, I think beyond that, uh, thinking about all the other uh, challenges we have in terms of folks trying to get into our space, right? So it's uh, fintechs. Uh, some of the largest banks in the country have become particularly good at consumer banking. Uh, and I think this kind of opportunity where every time you turn around, someone wants to be a bank, or at least wants to be a part of a bank. So I think that's going to be an issue. And the last thing is, I, I always think about the unknowns, or the known unknowns, right? And um, we don't know what's happening in the geopolitical space. Um, the war in the Ukraine, which is kind of grinding along, uh, hopefully will come to some positive resolution over that time frame. Um, you know, the COVID lockdowns in China, have been an issue. Um, hopefully those seem to be easing now and we'll be getting through that. But with their zero tolerance policy, you've got potential uh, sustained disruptions in the supply chain. So, you know, we have um, the normal business cycle, uh, inflation rate increases, possible recession. Uh, you've got uh, some of these issues with other competitors being into our space, especially around payments. And then you have the stuff that you really can't tell ahead of time. So, so what do you do as a CEO to prepare your bank for the change, for these challenges, and, and what do we do as an industry to prepare for these challenges? You know, when you think about these challenges, they sound new, but each of these, these challenges has existed over the course of our careers. So the business cycle's not new. Uh, it's not a surprise that we would you know, have to deal with a recession from time to time. Um, it's not a surprise that we would have stiff competition um, you know, I remember when I joined the industry, right, the, um, there were big changes going on. The deregulation of the industry, the ability for uh, savings banks to offer checking products, um, the creation of products like a home equity, um, you know, line of credit. So um, I think that these things, the business cycle, the product and competitive changes, the geopolitical changes, are things that if you're going to be in this business for any amount of time, you're going to see them. And the trick is to prepare for them before they're upon you. So, you know, if you're worried about rising interest rates, it was time to prepare a year ago, two years ago. Uh, if you were worried about credit, you know, you can't wait until you start to see escalations in, um, you know, delinquencies and non-performing loans and those kinds of things. So you have to pre prepare ahead. So, when we look at our bank, uh, we use kind of the, the concept of how do you set up a bank that would perform well in a wide variety of, of environments. Because it's better to do that than to try and predict the specific environment you're going to wind up in. So we make sure that we have a relatively balanced interest rate risk position. 
Um, in this case, with rising rates, we'll have margins expanding, so we'll be in a, a good position for that. We've also built our loan portfolio to be very granular, so a lot of loans across different uh, asset classes, within different industries, and across different geographies. So the bulk of our lending is here in New Jersey, uh, but we do a lot of lending in New York and Philadelphia, and now Boston and Baltimore. We lend across a variety of sectors, so we have some exposure in commercial real estate, investor-owned commercial real estate, uh, CNI lending, residential lending. So the idea is that you build a bank that's more robust and able to tolerate a wide variety of, 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 of uh, outcomes. So when you do that, um, I think when you go through a difficult period of time, you may not have the best year, uh, but you're removing the big risks from the table of having a, you know, a particularly bad outcome. So, you know, we've been through the past three years of, of all sorts of change in our industry as well as in the economy. Um, but just take the last year as we've begun to emerge from COVID-19. Um, what, what do you think the biggest change has been and how do you see that impacting our industry moving forward? I think when you go through a change that is uh, as fundamental as the one we experienced in COVID, um, that forever changes kind of the future coming through that point. And so when I think about, you know, what's different today than say the fall of 2019 before we knew COVID existed, um, there are a few things. The first is that our ability to embrace technologies that interestingly had been around for a decade before that, right? We all had video conference systems and, um, you know, push came to shove. You could go to a room in, in many banks and, and conduct, say, a a video session with people in, in different areas, uh, but we didn't really use them. They weren't embedded in our culture. So now coming out the other side, we have all the negative outcomes from that. You know, the challenges building culture and getting people on the same page and having the context outside of a video. Uh, but there are wonderful new opportunities to come out of that as well. So, you know, I look back and think about our decision to enter markets like Boston and Baltimore. That was a post-COVID decision. So we made that decision in the fall of 2020, partially based on our new understanding that we could operate in markets that were a little farther away from our core market and do so effectively. And look, we love that they're drive time markets. I can get in the car and go there, um, or I can get on the Amtrak train and I'm you know, in those markets in no time. But that regular interaction over video uh, the ability to hold, you know, credit committee or video, those kinds of things, I think, have forever changed. Um, the second thing is that we have to understand that the, uh, for a significant part of our population, the nature of work uh, has been reevaluated. And it's not to say, you know, I think that we sometimes oversimplify or you see these things in the news that, hey, you know, people don't want to work anymore. Um, I don't think that's true. I think they want to work differently. They want a little more flexibility. They want the um, ability to integrate work into their life a little more. Uh, so that translates into maybe having a little more remote work. It translates into having maybe a not uh, perfectly scheduled day, so you're coming in early or late or uh, working at different times. It also means that people want the opportunity to uh, make sure they're doing, they're doing meaningful work. Um, so we're seeing in our intern program and the new recruits we're trying to get in, the young talent, they really want to understand what banking's about. So I think the two changes we see are the advent or the 
adoption of technology that really helps us run the business more effectively and efficiently, and then embracing what is a wider variety of views about work. And um, that, that's going to take a, a few years, I think, for us to settle through all that. Um, but I think there's only upside because it actually widens the pool of people that become potentially um, attracted to our industry. So, so this question of culture, you know, at your bank, you're very innovative, very entrepreneurial, and you're very thoughtful, and, and you have that culture that, that obviously comes from the top. Um, when, when you look out at the industry, you know, we have, people, we have uh, institutions that are you know, somewhere along that spectrum. What, what would you say to those uh, CEOs to, to move them along uh, into, into a more uh, progressive uh, stand when it comes to corporate culture? I think, you know, if you want to build a long-lasting, endurable business, uh, you need to be thinking about where is your business going to be next year, two years, five years down the road. Um, and when you do that, uh, it almost always requires you make investments um, and spend your time in a way that doesn't just prepare you to meet the, the quarterly earnings you know, this quarter. And, uh, and that can be a real challenge. So I think, you know, I've talked to a lot of bankers over my time in the industry, and those that connect the desire for their institution to grow long beyond their involvement with it, I think readily understand that they need to make um, investments to do new things, to deploy technology, to work with a new generation of staff. Um, there are folks that are that's not as high a priority, and that's okay. Uh, you know, we don't all have to serve the market the same way. Uh, but if you're not spending time and energy um, in the application of technology, in understanding how your customers want to bank, in understanding how your workers um, and your staff want to have, what kind of relationship they want to have with your company. I think you're going to have a, a, a short-term business outlook. So, so we're talking about you know looking into the future and, and what preparations you're making. Um, what do you think is going to surprise us about the industry in the next 12 to 24 months? I think that we underappreciate the um, the kinds of jobs and job functions that we have in our industry today. So, just to put it in perspective, when I joined the industry. Um, I started larger banks, but I, I worked at banks where, and many of us have had this experience, you would go into a, um, a large corporate office and there were, even before cubicles, there were just desks lined up, right? And you could see all the way across the floor, there's 100 people on a floor. And um, I remember them posting tickets, like literally having a pile of debits and a pile of credits, and people would come in all day and post tickets. That was like a job. Uh, not only was it a job, it was like probably the, one of the biggest jobs in, in the bank. And, and today, none of that happens, right? Everything is auto-post. Um, even reconciliations are now auto-reconciled. So this idea that I have a job that kind of does a repetitive, straightforward thing all day, every day, is going away. Um, even the idea that you know, my job is to compare this thing to that thing, you know, like a quality control group or a compliance group or those kinds of things. Those are tasks that are low value um, and they're, they're expensive and they're high volume. 
And um, I, I think especially, and this gets highlighted in the inflationary environment we're in, labor becomes more expensive every day. So if you can automate these kinds of things and then reserve your compensation dollars for those people that can attract and retain new clients to your business, um, that's going to be where the effective banks are. So um, I think we're going to see a lot more on a percentage basis, folks that are in relationship acquisition, relationship management. I think we're going to see um, even more folks in IT, IT services, automation, uh, digital support, and far fewer people that are passing a transaction doing something mechanical in nature. And that's what led us to rotate a significant portion of our staff out of repetitive branch-based service transactions and into more uh, consultative uh, digital and video experiences with our customers. It's, uh, it's, it's really interesting when, when you see the, the leap forward in technology um, that your institution and others have, uh, have undertaken in, in such a short period of time. Um, I, I just want to focus on the on competition from fintechs. Um, wh what do you think that means for our institutions into the future, and, and how do we either partner with them or use the best of what they have to, uh, to vault ourselves into the future? There are two things I always think about with fintechs. The, the first thing is that um, and we can learn a lot from this. They have an absolute uh, laser focus on the customer experience. So what I mean by that is that uh, they're not uh, casually looking at the experience someone has when they open an account. They're quantitatively looking at it and saying, how many screens, how many fields, how many keyboard clicks, how can I make this experience a lot more um, a lot more easy for the customer to use, a lot more, uh, a lot faster and quicker. Um, and you know, I, always, you know, I think back to um, you know, when Amazon was founded, and Jeff Bezos said that people always never complain about getting something faster or cheaper. Uh, so delivery timeframes for him were an obsession, and cost was an obsession. So for us, we should be looking to deliver our products in the easiest possible way we can and being very disciplined about what that interaction means. The second part of it is they often look at risk in a different way than we do. And that doesn't make it wrong, uh, but they don't have the baggage that many of our organizations do. You know, mine's been around since 1902. So we have 120 years of rules and policies and procedures and double checks and you need all those kinds of control environments uh, to run an effective regulated institution. But you need to balance them. And you need to understand and, and look at what's really serving the customer. And I, I think one of the biggest mistakes people make in technology is taking what is inherently a very stupid process and automating it um, for, for two reasons. First, you've lost the opportunity to fix the process. And the second thing is once you automate it, it becomes embedded uh, in the fabric of your company forever. Well, thank you. Um, I'd like to I'd like to pivot our conversation. Um, you will be uh, the chair of the New Jersey Bankers for the next year, and uh, like to focus on uh, what what you think your biggest impact would be as the chair of the New Jersey Bankers. Well, you know, first I'm, I'm honored to be the chair. Uh, There's so many people that I greatly respect that have kind of preceded me on this, and I, I hope I can live up to what they've done for the association for our industry. Um, 
I guess I think back to uh, when uh, Angela Snyder was chair, and uh, she brought us together to create a leadership group for emerging leaders, uh, younger leaders in our industry, to get them the skills and the experiences they needed to be the next generation of bankers uh, running banks, doing jobs like, like mine. And uh, just so admired that opportunity to, to build. And, and extending on that and building on that, I'd really like us to do some work over the next year to attract uh, the, the best and brightest of talent in our community to want to come work for a bank. And I, you know, I recall that when I, when I graduated college, um, and if you said you were going into banking, people were impressed or that was kind of like a, a good job, right? You, you, know, you, you got congratulated when you, when you entered a bank training program. And somehow, I think as an industry, we lost that and we became less attractive. And people are attracted to the shiny objects like you know, well, Google or you know, Facebook or Twitter or something like that. Um, I think we need to regain some of that for, for two reasons. We need that youth. We need that vitality. We need that perspective on culture and technology. Um, but also, it's, it's a diversity issue. And what I mean by that is we absolutely want to advance um, opportunity within our organizations to everyone in our organizations, regardless of their, their backgrounds. Um, and we will do that. However, um, there's a, over the years that I've been in banking, we have been less diverse than the communities we serve. And we need to fix that. And you can't just fix that by promoting or working to create a level playing field for folks that are inside your organizations. We need to bring more diverse people into our industry. And to bring them in, they have to be excited and attracted, and they have to believe that working for a bank is a noble thing and that you can make a difference here. And, and I believe all those things. I believe them from the bottom of my heart. So, um, so I, I'd like to define my uh, tenure as chair about us moving um, the ball a bit in terms of creating an attractive uh, place for youth to come and develop, especially youth with diverse backgrounds. So if you had one message for emerging leaders in this banking industry, what would it be? There's a, you know, banking comes with tremendous responsibilities, uh, but tremendous opportunities. And uh, done properly, um, banks of all sizes and shapes um, play a tremendous role in our community in terms of directing capital, in terms of allowing people to, pr to pursue the dreams that that they have you know, personally and for their families. Um, and I just think it's a really special um, uh, kind of part of our communities that we serve. And um, I very much look forward to um, trying to share that with more and more people. Thank you, Chris. For the New Jersey Banker Podcast, I'm Mike Afuso.